Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we'll study God's Word. Morning, everybody. Isn't that profound? 90 seconds. I've been uh, sitting in that and it was really good. I actually got an email from uh, someone in Vacaville who's getting this, who not, is not here but listens to our podcast and says, man, that Carlos, he's something else. And uh, I agree, actually. I quoted him on page one of the message notes. Speaking of people that listen to the podcast, I want to give a quick shout out to Gurney, Illinois, and the IDs who wrote me, and Gurney, Illinois, who listened to our podcast. So, hi, IDs. Um, let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the goodness of it. Oh, my gosh, it is mind-blowing. And God, as we enter into this room where this banquet is going on, teach us about worship. Not just worship that takes place an hour on a Sunday, but worship of our whole life. As we have a vantage point that people in the room didn't. Lord, let let your words, let Mary's words, let the other people in the room, let all this through the word of God come to us and land on us and transform our perspective, our convictions, We want to see you and others differently, even as we see ourselves differently in light of you. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. All right. Hey, when was the last time you experienced lavish love? Lavish love, overflowing love. Uh, A year ago, our daughter, our oldest daughter, uh, ran her first ultra marathon. And uh, it was about four hours from here in the foothills of the Sierras. And it was a town called Cool. It's called the Way Too Cool uh, Ultra. And um, it was in the foothills, single track. And so we were uh, were tracking with her, not by, she didn't have a chip or anything. Um, That would have been too easy. So we were just counting on when she'd come back and we're trying to be there at the finish line. And I was all nervous and excited and proud and overwhelmed. And I'm trying to posture myself at the finish line where I can see her running as far away and start going crazy like a dad should. And as I'm standing there with Anne and and the family, um, who walks up silently just as she does but Hannah Sandquist. Uh, Hannah and my Hannah grew up together in this church. Hannah lives in the Bay Area. My Hannah lives in Oregon. And she drove four hours that day to go and cheer one of her closest friends across the finish line. Uh, That's when the tears started flowing. And afterwards, we took a picture. Uh, There's some of my family, my brothers to my left, and and there's our daughter. And and then there's Hannah, because she's one of the family. I'm like, stay for dinner, please, come on. We're having we're gonna a feast and all this. And she goes, no, I got to drive back. She spent an hour and a half with us, drove four hours to cheer on her best friend or close friend, gets in the car, drives four hours back. That's lavish love. I asked her about it this week as I was asking her permission to share the story. I'm like, when did you know you were going to do this? She goes, the day before. She said, uh, I, my job got canceled. She's an athletic trainer. Uh, and I, she said this literally, I wasn't trying to do something crazy. I was just trying to be present the best way I knew how. Hannah was lavish. Hannah Sanquist is living in the decrease, and I'll never recover from it. Neither will her close friend, Hannah, or my wife, or others. We're stepping into John's gospel, okay, and talking about this. Everything about Jesus at this point is going to be decrease. And John, in his biography, takes half of his biography 
to uh, spend a week of Jesus' life, the last week. This is his emphasis. And in this, we're going to see Jesus' world get smaller and smaller. And today, we're going to see the most vivid picture of worship there is, I believe, in all the New Testament on planet Earth. Do you know the word worship? Uh, in the New Testament, the word that's used primarily, there's a word group in the original language, but the primary word of worship means uh, to bow down. It's all about posture, to kneel, to prostrate yourself. Literally, it means to kiss the feet. Uh, it was used in that day, there were kings and monarchs of what you would do in the presence of a monarch. You would worship the monarch. It had no religious meaning, but the Bible pulled that in and gave it religious meaning. Uh, it originally carried the idea of subjects kissing the ground before a monarch. It begs this question that I want you to hold on to. Uh, what do you bow down to? Who do you bow down to? What is it that's your grand authority that reorients even your convictions because that is your grand uh, aspect of worship where you do crazy things because of it? Uh, last Sunday night, I was um, in the temple that's in our house. It's called our kitchen. And I went to the throne of the temple. It was our refrigerator. And I opened the freezer and I pulled out mint chocolate chip gelato. Uh, now, this isn't worship. This is just abundant life, okay? And, and so I, I scoop it, and I put it in my bowl, and I'm going to get my, um, I'm embarrassed to say this, but my hard shell chocolate. I love hard shell chocolate. And I open the cupboard, and there are Reese's peanut butter eggs there. And they're luring me in, and they're saying, come worship me, eat me, please. And I just like, no, curse you, Reese's peanut butter egg. <laughs> And uh, before I knew it, I had a, I don't know what happened. I just had a, and it was down. <laughs> that was worship, not the good kind of worship. And then I, you know, ate my hard shell chocolate and I was putting stuff away. And I put my, uh, I opened the cupboard again to put something away. And there are Samoa Girl Scout cookies. And they're saying, come on, Gary, you know you want me. Come on, just eat me. I just, please, you have to have me. And before I knew it, six cookies. <laughs> that was worship. I, I know my metabolism. Uh, like, like, really, gelato with hard shell, like that I could handle. This was over the top. My appetites won out. They controlled me. Now look, it's, it's, you know, and by the way, I paid the price for that. Three in the morning that morning, I was like wide awake and, and had a sugar hangover like almost the whole next day. It was terrible. Um, it's one thing to do that with food, but the reality is most of us struggle with different aspects of our character, and I am, I'm just submitting to you, it's not a sin issue, it's a worship issue. You think you have to have that. And you think that you'll never be satisfied without that, whatever that is. And so it's not like I struggle with, no, 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 let's just be really clear. No, you worship it. You bow at the feet of it. You allow it to control you. You think it will give you a reputation or give you a satisfaction that rarely will deliver on. It might in the moment, but not for the long haul. So I'll ask it again. 
What do you bow down to? What ideology? What is it about who you want to be that might, you might worship career-wise, peer pressure? Whose affirmation are you bowing down for? All this leads to John chapter 12. Now we're in Bethany, we're uh, right over the hill from Jerusalem. There's a banquet held at the house of a guy named Simon. Uh, Matthew and Mark both tell of this story, so I'm gonna pull in all three biographies, although we're just reading one of them, John's. Uh, but Matthew and Mark say it was held at a home of a guy named Simon, uh, who is an ex-leper, okay, ex-leper. Jesus healed him, and he's given a thank you banquet. At the dinner table is Jesus, Simon, Lazarus, we know that name, he's an ex-dead guy. Jesus with a lot of X's, okay, around the table. And, and you, can you imagine the conversation of that? Uh, it's amazing what's going on. And, and by the way, if you're a follower of Christ, you're an X something. We all have a testimony, don't we? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, Paul's talking about all these heinous sins in the culture, uh, people that are living like stiff-arming God, and he goes, and such were some of you. <laughs> You were an ex at one time, but Christ changed you. This is what Jesus does. This is the, friends, really, if you don't know Christ, this is the offer on the table for free. Jesus can transform your life from the inside out. And you don't have to get good enough for Jesus to love you. He'll take you just as you are, but you do have to surrender control and let him have his effect. And the process, once you receive that gift of becoming like Christ, that's what we're talking about here okay so all these x's you get it at the table you get what's going on the meal's interrupted by mary remember our definition of worship it's on page one and we're going to see her bow down kneel literally kiss the feet the word worship isn't used but get, make no mistake about it this is worship jesus she does it in such a way i'm just going to tell you it is socially awkward extremely impractical. It is unbelievably lavish. Uh, you are going to feel at some point in this message freaked out, weirded out by what she did. Because in 2,000 years, we try to make it all nice and, and uh, septic, but you, you can't do that with this. She just broke through every social norm because Jesus just had her, and he wants to have you in the best way possible, and me. So let's pick it up. What do we learn from Mary about worship? How do we live in a decrease? Uh, look at page two. Page two, followers who live in the decrease. Here's the first thing we learned. This is so important. And this, is, uh, I can't emphasize this enough. She abandons her pride. Abandons her pride. This is important because for most of us, our obedience has a limit. And usually that limit is pride. We all do a cost-benefit analysis. I'm just being real using logic, and we go, you know what? To go further in obedience would cost me too much. I would look weird, or it might deplete whatever value you put on whatever you have, and you're like, I'm out. Like, I'm going this far and no, no further. You do that too. I do that too. And so Mary says, you know what? If she could give this sermon, she could be like, man, I let go of pride. It was the most liberating thing I ever did. Look what she says. Uh, look what it says. Verse 1. Six days before the Passover. This is Saturday. This is actually the last Sabbath that Jesus experienced. Uh, after this, there would be no need for the Sabbath because Jesus rose from the dead and his followers never celebrated the Sabbath anymore. Sunday became the day of celebration. So this is like the last Jesus-centered Sabbath 
in the Bible. Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served. Lazarus is among those reclining at the table with them. They didn't sit in chairs. They would, if this was a table, it would be about a foot and a half, two feet high. Their elbow would be on the table. Their feet would be back there, and they would just be talking and eating like this. This is what's going on. Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. Pure nard was a spice that would be imported from the Himalayan mountains. It was not um, indigenous to Israel. It would come on camel, and it cost a lot of money. As a matter of fact, we see the cost, and I'll just cut to the chase. This is about a $36,000 gift in our time, in our uh, economy. Uh, a year's wages, I just took the minimum wage, multiplied it, gave 60 days off, $36,000. And, and historically, in that day, this, we don't read of Mary or Martha ever having husbands, uh, and this was their future. This was their social security. This was their Pension. This was their 401k, 403b for those of us in the nonprofit world. She's, she's giving Jesus her future, her finances, her security, and pouring it out at Jesus' feet. That's what it says. She poured it on Jesus' feet, a role that was beneath any Jewish person. You'd have a foot washer at every dinner. You'll hear about this next week, actually, when Lori's here. Uh, but no Jew was allowed to be a foot washer because if you touch people's feet, you couldn't go to temple. So it was always a Gentile who washed the feet. Mary goes there with Jesus. And she wiped his feet with her hair. Wow, now it's going to get tense. It was in the room at this point. Uh, the rabbis taught that, uh, and it's true even in the Middle Eastern, certain Middle Eastern cultures today, women hid their hair or kept it up. And the rabbis taught in the first century for a woman to unravel her hair or to have hair like many of you have today, um, it was reserved, and it was a sign of openness and intimacy reserved only for the bedroom in a home with a spouse, with a husband, or for a prostitute. See how awkward this is? Friends, this was passionate, but it wasn't romantic. I want to be really clear. This was a passionate display of affection, but it wasn't a romantic display of affection. It was so um, repulsive to the men in the room that Matt, uh, Mark, in Mark 14, 5, says the other guests, literally says this, they rebuked her harshly, it's an understatement because the words used in the original language mean to bellow with anger, to snort or roar like an animal. Suddenly the silence is broken and the men are like, what are you doing? This is disgusting. Do you believe this? Oh, who do you think? I mean, they are just angry and viscer is coming out of them. Is that a word? Um, anger is spewing out of them towards her. It's tense. It's awkward because of her passionate worship. And you know what? Mary didn't care. It wasn't about the other people. It was about her and Jesus at that moment. And every bellow and roar of anger only fueled her love for him and his love for her. 
See, friends, what I want to say is our actions make statements. And here are the state. Every action makes a statement. My Sunday night eating was a statement. Uh, the way I drive, the way I drove here uh, to come into the service, that was a statement. Our actions make statements towards God, right? And what I'm trying to propose to us is uh, our vertical uh, worship of God, not just on a Sunday, but in life, breathing the prayer that Brian gave to us last week, it actually has horizontal ramifications. That's how the kingdom is fueled. Mary's actions were this. Her, her statements were this. Uh, breaking the box open of alabaster, the alabaster box. I'll follow you, Jesus, no matter what the cost. That's what she was saying. Going to Jesus' feet, she's saying this, I'm laying down my rights for you. This is beneath any Jewish person, but nothing is beneath me for you, Jesus. With her hair, she's saying, I'm not just giving you everything I have. You ready? I'm giving you everything I am. And there's a big difference. Our lives make statements. Worship is worth-ship. And our obedience and the way we treat others, the way we treat uh, people on the margins, the way we um, share our faith, the way we act in obedience, it all is a statement to Jesus. You're worth it. We're going to sing in a minute the hymn that's been part of our culture, for our Christian culture and history for hundreds of years called Take My Life. And there's a line in there that says, take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord I pour. At your feet, it's treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever, only, all for who, church? Thee. Worship's a statement. Here's what Mary's saying. Jesus, you're worth it. You're worth every anger. You're worth my reputation. You're worth all that comes out at me. You're worth my future. You're worth it all. Have you ever thought about your obedience as a statement of worth to Jesus? Friends, I'll come back to this later in the message, but there's so much more that meets the eye when it comes to our obedience. We think it's just about the here and now and what's in it for me and if I obey, what will happen and yada, 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 but there's so much more than meets the eye. Even your being here is a statement. In the rain, losing an hour of sleep, that's a statement to Jesus. So important. What's Mary saying? She's saying you're worth it. And I'm saying to you this week, I'm begging us, us, me too, to walk in a posture of worship by the way we value everyone we lay eyes on as an image bearer of God. And we say to Jesus in doing that, you're worth it. By the way we love and serve the poor, by standing with the marginalized, by sharing our faith, by honoring, if we're married, our wedding vows, honoring, if we're single, our purity, by the stewardship of our resources, by putting your God first in your finances, by the attitude you have when a, when a missionary prayer letter comes to you asking for investment with them to help them go to the least, the lost, the lonely, by the attitude you have when you hear Danny saying, we need you to serve in children's ministry. That statement is a worth statement to God. And I am asking us to invite Jesus into that that we declare to God, to the world, you're worth it. Even when it feels like what's being asked of us 
is alabaster jar proportion. Jesus is worth it. Amen? Look what it says in James chapter 4, verse 6, page 2. And you see this lived out. God opposes the proud. He opposes the proud. When I think, what's in it for me? And I do. And when I think, oh, what about me? And I do. Uh, listen, as pastors, we get opposed all the time. Uh, not a week goes by that I don't get an opposition email, usually from someone in the church, uh, many times from someone in the community. We're used to being opposed as pastors. Oh, my gosh, but being opposed by God, that's a whole different ballgame. I can't imagine heaven going, I'm opposing you. He opposes the proud, but look what it says. He gives favor or grace to the humble. Oh, wow. Look what it says. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Suddenly, it's like a middle school classroom with students with Axe body spray all over them entering in. Like, it is all over the room that's going on, right? The whole room knew it. In those days, if you attended a big event, uh, just to bring you into it, uh, usually someone would put a dab of perfume on you as a protective shield for the rest so you could enjoy your meal. Um, there was no showers or baths in that day. There was no deodorant. There was no um, toothpaste. Can I just say this? Jesus, his breath stunk. <laughs> I, I just say that to humanize the fact in the Philippians 2 way that he became fully human. We try to sterilize Jesus. He had body odor. At some point, Isaiah said he was so disgusting when he was beaten to a pulp, that people just turned their face away from him. And so Mary, in doing this, it's the same reason that I wear cologne and that you wore cologne and deodorant. Thank you for doing that. Uh, it's a protective shield around you so that people will actually want to interact with you. That's why you would get this in that day. But Mary goes overboard with it. She abandons her pride. And what act of obedience is your pride such a barrier that you're like, I'll go this far, but not farther? Then look at this. Followers who live in the decrease give lavishly, lavishly. And I want to contrast sacrifice from intimacy. I think if we were to interview Mary, she would go, what are you talking about? That wasn't lavish to me. You do the same thing. If Jesus did what he did for me, what he did for you. I was actually writing, uh, texting Hannah Sanquist to ask her if I could use permission for this. Because I'm like, she's like, why do you want to share that? I'm like, because it's unbelievable what you did. And if you don't want to do it, grace to you. I love you either way. And she's like, Gary, and this is what she wrote. Literally, I pulled the text into my message notes. I would do it all over again in a heartbeat. In other words, saying, it's no big deal. It's what you do, but but we live in a world where it's not what you do, and so it stands out. Now, the fragrant aroma in the room is about to be invaded by the toxicity of Judas's voice, okay? Let's listen. But, uh-oh, verse four, one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, by the way, that's always how Judas is described in the Gospels, with betrayal, objected. Now we're gonna get the first words of Judas recorded in the Bible. His last words are this, before he died. I, uh, let's see, I betrayed innocent blood. That's his last words. His first words are right here. Why wasn't this perfume sold and money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. 
Now, John gives commentary. Verse 6, he didn't say this because he cared about the poor. He was a hypocrite. He cared about himself. But because he was a thief and as a keeper of the money bag, the more that's poured out on others is less he gets. He used to help himself to what was put into it. Now, Judas led the attack, but again, Matthew's account says, Matthew 26, 8, literally, the disciples were indignant when they saw this and asked. His disciples, Judas had influence. Now, the rest of the disciples say, why this waste? Waste? They were only being pragmatic and sensible. The money could have benefited many poor families, but instead it's wasted. The bottom line for Judas was this. Jesus isn't worth it. Later, he would sell Jesus for about a fourth of the cost, 30 pieces of silver. It's about a fourth of the cost. That's all Jesus was worth to him. But this lavish outpouring, Jesus isn't worth it. Which makes me ask, as I'm sitting in there, like, okay, what is my worth statement of Jesus as a follower of his? What act of obedience? What act of allegiance? What's striving for my moral character? Can I give up 20 minutes for 40 days to go through this 40 day of decrease series? Or is Jesus, I, I don't mean this in a condemning way, I'm asking me this, or is Jesus not worth it? Proverbs 11, 24 to 25, page two says this, and you see this lived out with Mary and Judas, uh, although it was written long before them. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. That would be Mary. Another person withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. That would be Judas. See, walking in obedience in the Christian life, it's counterintuitive. You give away only to get more. More character, uh, more in material blessing. It's amazing. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will themselves will be refreshed. Judas is saying to Mary, get a sense of proportion. I mean, loving Jesus is one thing, but you're taking it way too far. Now, I want you to sit in this statement. I'll repeat it twice. It's really important, okay? Judas is following Jesus because of how it profits him. Mary is following Jesus in spite of what it costs her. This is where John, in his gospel, he does this amazingly, turns the table on you and me and says, pick your side. I'm going to say it again. Judas is following Jesus for how it profits him. Mary is following Jesus in spite of what it costs her. Who do you identify with? Take the names out of it. You see the proverb, you see the trajectory of your life. But at some point, I know I do too, all of us go, well, that's gonna cost. Everyone's got a point. Multiple times in our lives, as we age, where that happens. This woman Brian met, I mean, the cost on her life, not necessarily from following Jesus, just from life but she's still in it with cancer and being a quadriplegic. She's still in it because she's living for another kingdom. And it's like, well, this is where God has me. This is my station. I guess at UCSF now, I get to have a ministry to this staff. See, my friends, through the ages, that question has fueled the church through the ages to the point today where a third of the known world is in a room like this 
some in much harsher conditions, some under the threat of death, worshiping Jesus. Because men and women through the ages didn't stop at what's in it for me, but pushed through for how can this glorify Christ? Why do we think, honestly, I'm just asking myself and you, why do we think in 2019 it should be any different? Why do we cringe when just a little bit of cost comes our way? Why is that? Mary just screams to us from heaven going, come on. It's worth it. He's worth it. He's worth every alabaster jar that he's called you to pour out at his feet. And I'm not even talking finances here. I'm talking about something like time, like your character, like obedience. Thirdly, lastly, this is really important. Followers of Christ, because right now you're either really angry at me and you're going to be one of those opposing emails <laughs> that I get, and grace to you, uh, let's talk. Um, or you're doing a cost-benefit analysis going, okay, what does this mean for me? Here's the motivation that will only make you break through what's in it for me to what's in it for Jesus. Right here. They're motivated by the cross. Look what Jesus says. I love this. Leave her alone. And I think he did raise his voice. Jesus replied. It was intended. Now he shows there was way more than meets the eye that's going on here. He said, you think it's the here and now. And friends, I'm taking two more minutes to track with me. Our worship, our obedience, or lack thereof, there is so much more than meets the eye, so much more than goes on. You think it's the here and now. You think it's just, you know, a Reese's peanut butter egg, and I got to be satisfied now. But there's so much more going on. Jesus brings that so much more into perspective. She did this for perfume for the day of my burial. Whoa. He says, you'll always have the poor among you, but you won't always have me. What's going on? How is so much more meeting the eye? From Mary's perspective, I put on page two, every time Mary is mentioned, she's always mentioned at the feet of Jesus, the only person in the Gospels who ever had access to Jesus' feet. In Luke 10, she's a disciple at his feet, learning from his teaching. In John 11, she is a mourner at Jesus' feet, grieving the death of her brother. In John 12, she is a worshiper at Jesus' feet, pouring out her affection. And from Mary's perspective, I, in, according to verse 8, she understood something others didn't. You ready? Her brother's funeral, she understood, oh my gosh. The only way my brother's funeral was stopped was for you, Jesus, to create a funeral of your own. The only reason my brother has life is because you're going to go to your death. And she pours out her affection on Jesus. From Jesus' perspective, Matthew and Mark mentioned Mary didn't just start at his feet. She poured it out on his head, and the perfume ran down. It was like a perfume bath. Now think about the rest of the week for Jesus. The next day, he would be turning over tables. He'd be in the temple battling Pharisees, trying to be tripped up, looking to arrest him, always looking over his shoulder. He'd be arrested on a Thursday night and go through six illegal trials where he'd be beaten, falsely accused, his beard would be ripped out, spit. Have you ever been spit on? Spit on his face. And through that all, that aroma, I disbelieve would stick with him and he would go, it's worth it. Because I'm giving my life for people I love. People who are over their head with sin 
And this is the only way they're going to be free. It's worth it. Friends, I want to tell you, as you've been singing at the start of this service, in every effort you made to get here, in worship to God, in the heavenly realm, if I could put on spiritual lenses, your attitude of worship or lack of worship is a statement to God. And there is so much more than meets the eye. If I had more time, I'd unpack this. So much more that's meeting the eye in the spiritual realm, in the heavenlies and in our lives. And I want to encourage us to live in the decrease for these next 40 days. And learn from Mary that living in the decrease means, you know what, lay your pride aside. Just try it for a week. Be lavish. Go through a border and get in the uncomfortable zone, whether it be financially, uh, giving God more than you're used to with your time, serving. Just break through the border for a week. Just try it for a week. And keep the cross before you. The only reason you have life is because he gave his. Father, I thank you for this time, and I thank you for the, the freedom we have here. God, I'm asking that you would do in 2019 what Mary did in the year 30. You would do a work in our heart where we just lavishly say to you through our obedience, through the way the minute this service is over, how we prioritize our day, how we view people, your spirit would stir in us and we would make a statement of worship towards you. And I want to say for the multiple people in this room, hundreds of them, you're worth it. You're so worth it. We love you. Our spirit is willing. I believe that. Our spirit is willing. Our flesh is weak. So you must increase. We must decrease. Let the great reduction commence. Pray this in Christ's name. And everyone said... Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC. We are PCC.